we had a window of about 10 years where we were searching for stuff. You know, we looked into the new age, we looked in, you know, we did psychedelic drugs, we did all that. We were just searching, but then what happened is where the answer started to come is when we had the encounter. You have wondered what you would be able to do if you were the ultimate version of you, right? You would then have an easy time creating what you want, and yes, effortlessly enjoying life too. Now, you may know this already, the influence you have over your reality is far beyond what you've been told. Soon, you realize that your outer world is merely a mirror of your inner world, and we're here to connect the dots for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to God Mode. Welcome to God Mode. So we're gonna get started today and we have a very special guest. Now, before I introduce him, let me give you a little context. We are in a very special place in the world. We're in Jerusalem. And why are we here? And what is this place? What, what, what is this background? We're in the King David Hotel. It's a historical location where many of the presidents, many of the prime ministers, many of the leaders of the world have stayed. And um, from Dalai Lama to current presidents or past presidents of different, you know, of our country and other countries. Um, one of the things is you'll notice we're, we are actually sitting in the lobby where we're being in the midst of this energy and it's a wonderful energy. So if at any point you hear any other sound other than our voices, Allow that to be a part of the experience. Allow that to drive you into deeper immersion as you listen to us. And I do want to say this one more, one more thing before I introduce you to our special, special guest here. Many of you may know why we're here in Jerusalem. Many of you may know why we came to the Middle East. And for those of you who don't yet know, we're here for a very specific, very special purpose. And there's a lot of things that can be said on the surface level but we'd like to take you on a deeper dive into why we're really here and at different angles, why we're here to serve the people, to help the people here. Uh, we're all part of humanity, different locations, different areas of humanity. And this region has experienced a lot of conflict over the years, over the millennia and beyond. So there is a strong history of many, many conflict, as well as, frankly, abundance, as well as the opposite of abundance, as well as many other events. And we wanna share a few of our thoughts and, and also discuss why we're here, what we're doing, and how you may be able to participate and help. And we brought on a very special guest and, and I will allow me to introduce you. So this is Rabbi Kurt Landry, a great friend of ours and we've had the honor of getting to know him over the course of the last several months and learned many lessons as we interact with Rabbi Kurt Landry. And um, he is not only a man of wisdom and great skills, he's also one who is well, well-respected spiritual leader, uh, internationally, frankly. And, and you'll notice that as we came into uh, Jerusalem. As we actually land first in Tel Aviv, he didn't even have to go in line. He was uh, skipping the line. And uh, this is what, the 40, 47th, trip. 47th trip 
coming here to Israel. And the people here love him, uh, as well as people in the States and other places. And um, I think you'll soon find out why. So welcome. Welcome, Rabbi Landry. Thank you, Thank Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. We're honored to have you. And uh, uh, welcome to Jerusalem. Thank you. Honored to be here. As such a, and what a, what a great time to be here. There's a lot of conflict. And uh, as we discussed earlier, anytime there's a lot of conflict, uh, conflict in your life really lets you know. It's kind of like a doorbell. It's like uh, conflict is knocking on the door. And it's like, great, you can have an opportunity to let something good in your life to solve the conflict. Yes. And uh, that's where we are here in, in Israel right now. There's just a, uh, the changes and you'll see there's a lot of protesting going on. All these things are the birth pain of a realignment of taking Israel to actually a better place. Wow. You're not going to hear that on the news, but 47 times and my wife, Christy and I, we've been uh, interacting here for 33 years. So uh, lots of experience. But this is like one of our children, and uh, we're real proud of Israel and, and what's happening here. But we also see it's, it's kind of coming into, even though it's, uh, I just wrote an article in Charisma Magazine. This is the 75th anniversary uh, of what's happening here. So if you look at it numerically, seven is perfection, five is grace. So there's a time of, in the spirit, where there's perfection and grace that is starting to come on the scene, but the same thing's happening in your life. It's probably why you're interested in upgrade and you're interested in trying to uh, improve yourself because in the overall spiritual realm, there is a time where the Lord, I believe spiritually is trying to prompt people to go to another level. There's, there's like, there's like a hunger. It's, it's like springtime in the spirit. You know, you've been locked in your house all winter. It's been great. You've enjoyed the fire. You've enjoyed, uh, you know, the quiet time. But now the birds are singing. The trees are starting to, to bloom. Uh, the jonicles are coming up. The grass is starting to turn green. And the same thing with the anticipations in your own soul. Your soul is starting to awaken to uh, new hopes. And one of the things that I hope we get to talk about is that the choices that they'll make in this next few months uh, are kind of like seeds planted. So you want to have a bumper crop. You want to, you want to have growth. You want to have your dreams and your desires to come to pass. And if we understand the spiritual realm as well as all the other realms in our life, if we can incorporate that in, it helps to bring uh, what this city is known for is the city of peace, even though it's not, man's peace, but there is a spiritual shalom that rests on this place. And I'm sure you can even feel it now. You know, it's fascinating as we were on our way, as we got off the airplane and got in our car and, and drove over to Jerusalem, there was a sense of feeling, even though, yes, we're in the midst of physical conflicts, there's a peace that's very deep and there's a very powerful energy that exists in this area. If I may, I think that the listeners and the viewers are already aware that this episode is going to be, uh, we're not really speaking religiously here. We want to give you a perspective from one of the most well-respected spiritual leaders here 
uh, in a very spiritual perspective because I think that when someone grows and, and experience greater and greater wisdom, one ought to consider many different perspectives. And this is one of those that I strongly encourage you to not only consider, but pay attention to understand what Rabbi Landry is saying. And, and, and not only is there wisdom, I think there's application immediately in the physical for us. Yes, it's really the spirit realm is once, once you can kind of settle it in your mind and your will and emotions, then it allows you to be able to perceive, or we would call it revelation. If you, if you see, if you can turn a light on and see where you want to walk or see what you want to read, if that, once that light comes on, then you're able to move forward. And that's what I'm hoping on this podcast is that that light will turn on for you and uh, you'll be able to see from a spiritual perspective, what's your next step. Let's do this. If I may ask a few questions about your life, just a brief introduction. And I, you know, I have a series of questions I've prepared, but I'd love to let the listener and the viewer get to know you a little bit. If you wouldn't mind sharing a brief history of where you were, you know, where you grew up and how all of the, the, the work that you're doing here in this, in, in, in Israel came about for you. Big picture. Okay, well, big big picture. You want me to look in the camera? Uh, either way. Okay. Okay. So we'll just conversation. We'll go back and forth. Sounds great. Uh, uh, okay. I was um, I was. We'll go into the. Uh, I've got a book called Reclaiming Our Forgotten Heritage. You can actually get my book where books are sold, and uh, Amazon, any place. But realistically. I always, I have a saying, and one of the things I teach is how something starts is, is how it's going to finish. Uh, and so what I mean by that is I believe that the creator of heaven and earth has a reason for bringing you and I into a time together, and, and there's a purpose. And so you're going to hear with my story, it kind of started out bad, but it actually became my life, life's message, which means it's good. And that's what people need to understand that, that they're really, you can be birthed into some bad situations, but it actually becomes the strength of the message and the purpose of your life as you carry it into the future. And the sooner you can make that switch, then you get out of maybe uh, oppression or bitterness or sadness uh, because of why did this have to happen to me? If you realize it happened to you, because it was there to actually strengthen you and, and mold you and shape you into the purpose to help others. So with me, I was conceived out of wedlock in 1955. My father was a, uh, in the Air Force. My mother was a Portuguese Jewish woman in Modesto, California. Um, they were in love. They got pregnant out of wedlock and uh, they wanted to get married. And so uh, they went to uh, the, the parents of my, uh, the Jewish parents, and they said, you're not going to marry this Catholic Irish man. And then they went to the Irish parents, my dad's father, and they said, you're not going to marry the Jew. And so immediately there's this uh, conflict between Jew and Gentile that's happening even before I got here. There's this, this conflict. So because they wouldn't get the parents' blessings, they actually considered having an abortion. So they had the abortion all set, ready to go. 
and then five days, I think it was, is what I was told, before the abortion, uh, my father went to the Catholic priest. So you can see how many different people are involved in this. You have Jews, non-Jews, and Catholics, and, and now the Catholic priest comes and says there's an alternative if, as a Jewish woman, she would surrender the child to the adoption services, uh, to, but then the baby would be put into the Catholic system. And so for Jewish people to do that is, that's a difficult cultural choice, but she made that choice. So, um, uh, so anyway, so she had to leave Modesto, go down to Los Angeles, and I was born there uh, in a Catholic orphanage. I was in the orphanage six months, and uh, the family adopted me. The Landrys was a Jewish woman and a Catholic man. And so now I'm back into the same mix. And my adoptive father and biological father are both from Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So, whoa, what are the odds? Yeah, it's just like amazing. So, so anyway, I'm thrown back into the mix. So now I'm raised in Los Angeles and uh, in Westchester, California, near the airport. Have you ever been to LAX? That neighborhood right there is where I grew up. And, uh, and I went into parochial school. But then I joined a Jewish Boy Scout troop. So I'm getting all the cultural experience of being uh, raised Catholic. And then I'm also in the Jewish Boy Scout troop. So the reason I say all this is that my life's purpose is I am a bridge between Jews and Gentiles. I'm a bridge between Arabs and Jews. I'm, uh, my, my purpose in my ministry is, is uh, actually racial and tribal uh, reconciliation to actually bring peace. But my, my, my situation was such that I was born in conflict, but because of the experience that I carry, it makes it natural for me to be used as that, uh, spiritually, as that tool to bring reconciliation because I can relate to both sides of the equation. And as you know, and depending on what level uh, your leadership's in, is to how much ability you have to have your opinion, my opinion, and our opinion, and you have to get to the our opinion if you're going to get to any kind of racial or personal reconciliation. Um, so fast forward, I, I got into business. Uh, I, I had a natural skill because my biological father was a self-made multimillionaire. I was carrying that, but my adoptive father was two landing Guadalcanals, master marine sergeant, and there was a lot of discipline. So I had the discipline from... He had a purple heart, too. Yeah, he had a purple heart. Yeah, he was wounded on Guadalcanal. And um, so I had that, that discipline. Uh, my mother was uh, Olympic-trained swimmer. So I had all that upbringing of that. And then the biological, who later I got reconnected with, I had but the DNA to be able to do business. And as you know, entrepreneurial, you can develop it. But it's also great to have that. DNA. So, so I had that DNA there. Indeed. Yeah. Um, so the next thing that really happens is my wife and I, we've been together now 47 years and, uh, you know, we met when, uh, in our early twenties and, uh, fast forward successful in business. Um, basically, uh, you know, big houses, you know, 
just traveling, being able to do what we want, being successful. But I knew there was something missing. I knew that there was something. Rabbi's being very humble. He was very successful. He, he's being extremely humble here. Well, it's all perspective, is uh, you know. But but the thing is, is where you get to a place when you you know you have your bucket list and you're in your 30s and you've accomplished all those, and then you don't have the answer. Then you it's the the sad thing of it is you have to go. Well, what the heck's missing? You have a beautiful wife, beautiful daughter who you know is you know CEO of our industry and some of our businesses, and um, and then there was something missing. So, uh, in fact, I had the most successful year that I ever had at age 36, and that's when things really started to shift because my wife and I we were always on a journey. We we went through many different types of spiritual avenues. You know, we were raised in the late 60s, early 70s. So, uh, you know, uh, we experimented with all sorts of drugs and different things that uh, that era, uh, of course, raised in. Yeah. And uh, we weren't really hippies. We were we were way <laughs> we were uh, I've always been a hard worker and, and like nice things. But we kind of had that lifestyle. So we experimented, you know, with uh, the different mind-altering drugs and all those things. And so we knew the spiritual realm was real. In fact, I had overdosed twice, once on psilocybin mushrooms and once on LSD, to where I actually had an encounter, very demonic, and felt like I was going to die. And my wife had actually prayed and prayed me out of it. So I understand how real that, that spiritual realm is but we were always kind of fascinated with it. And, uh, but then when I was 36 years old, that would have been in 1989, I had always, we had moved to Seattle, just built a custom house, two BMWs in the garage, that type of life. And um, I had always promised my in-laws that I would send Christy and Megan back to Oklahoma, uh, you know, when we were there. So I had sent them back. Um, the project I was working on had done was very successful. It made millions of dollars in a 12-month uh, season, and so I was going to celebrate myself. You know that was uh, so. I got a a, bo a bottle of Cristal champagne. We're in the new house. Had all the sound system around the big master bedroom and bathtub, and I was going to go in there and celebrate myself. And so I opened the champagne, had the glass, and. Uh, got into the tub but the the problem is and, and remember i said how something starts how something starts is how it finishes there's a scripture in the bible that says when your mother and father have forsaken you and that's what happened to me when i was adopted he says then the lord thy god will take care of you and that's what happened for 36 years so now i get into this bathtub and i have a spiritual supernatural encounter to where uh you want me to go here, or is this? Yeah, please. Just so okay? tell us. I'm extremely interested. Oh, yes, okay. please. Yeah. I just know if I'm going too long here. No, no, no. I okay. Love it. So um, I I get into the tub, and realize this is 1989. And so then this like a a screen comes up. It would be just like a, an iPad, but we didn't have them then. A screen came up, literally like a vision. And then I start having this feeling kind of like if you've ever had like an anxiety attack. It's like, you know, you're feeling pressure on you and you know something that's changing in the atmosphere. So I'm making this spiritual. I mean, but I'm processing this from a very 
limited spiritual knowledge. And then on this screen, I start seeing things that I did that I was ashamed of when I was younger. And you know, all people have those. And, and, and it was starting to come up. And then right as that came up on the screen behind me on the left, I sense that there is a person or a spiritual being behind me. Wow. And I mean, it's like right here, it's like you can almost, but I know, William, I know best, I know, don't, don't look, don't turn around. There's, there, there's such a strong spiritual energy that I know I, I better not look, but I knew someone was standing behind me. Wow. Yeah. And you were living in California at that time. You were... This is in Seattle. Oh, this was in Seattle. Yeah, this is in Seattle, 1989. Uh, it's uh, actually it was during the Feast of Tabernacles, 1989 in uh, Seattle. And then on the screen, this is what was, uh, you know, I'm seeing these things. Yeah. And what came out of my mouth, now this wasn't like a thought. I would say this more came out of my heart. I was experiencing in the spirit what was happening to me emotionally in my heart with what was happening with this spiritual. And, and I know, I know now it was Jesus, but I didn't know then I didn't know anything about it, but I felt the one behind me and I kept speaking. I wouldn't look back, but I kept speaking. I said, I didn't mean to hurt you. Because what was happening is the, um, what I was seeing on the screen, which were some, you know, bad stuff that everyone does, you know, just things that you're ashamed of. And as I was seeing it, I was getting healed from it because I realized the one standing behind me was forgiving me and he never left me nor forsook, forsake me. And so one of the things that happens with orphans or adopted children or children um, and you and you may be one of them, you know, like a, you're a child of divorce or or you've been abandoned or your your parents weren't there for you. It, it, it creates what we call an orphan spirit. And you feel like, well, gosh, I was left alone. I went through all this trouble and and uh, no one was there. What what was happening was when I was saying and I, I bet you I said it 150 times because the the venue kept changing from. As long as I could remember, up to up to 36 years of age, this this event took probably a couple of hours. Wow! But what was happening to me was I was I kept saying I didn't mean to hurt you because I was experiencing the pain in his heart because he had never left me. That was the key. He never left me, and so the love uh, in the spirit for me to say, oh my gosh, I thought I was abandoned and rejected. And it turns out that I was actually accepted by one of the most powerful spiritual forces in the world, which is the son of God for me, which is, you know, uh, salvation. And, but, but I don't know anything about this. The, the, the Lord, my wife had been saved three years earlier, but the Lord said to her, don't preach to him, just love him. And that's what she did. So I'm not coming at this from a religious standpoint. I'm coming from it from a spiritual experience. And so there's this cleansing that's taking place because every time I saw one of these events, it was like, okay, you did it. I'm saying I'm repenting. I'm saying I'm sorry, heartfelt repentance. And then the pain of it, it, it it's like, if you can imagine, you just have a bunch of fiery darts in you. And it was like, they were just being pulled out 
and then it was almost like if you had a hole in your chest and it's like the Lord just came and touched it like that and then and then the wound went away immediately and it was like fresh baby skin and it didn't uh, uh, it's like it was never there they were just being pulled out and um, so that that spiritual experience uh, changed me in a, in a dramatic way for in the in the Christian world you'd call that salvation and that's what it was I I cried out to the Lord and he saved me but I can tell you that it wasn't something I necessarily was seeking he was seeking me but when he knocked at the door when the opportunity knocked I said yes and um, so um, that that experience of the reality of who he is uh, it was the purest form of love and uh, peace that I've ever I've ever experienced because I knew I wasn't rejected I wasn't a throwaway I was I was purposed to have life so from that time I dedicated myself to say um, I owe it to the world that whatever I do from here on I want to do to help other people because see I didn't realize how unhealthy my spirit life was before mm. I didn't realize you know listen I had a good life I mean um, you know private clubs box seats at sports knew a lot of people in the community I could go and do anything you hung out with celebrities all the time yes you were doing yeah really well yeah and so I but and, and I thought you know as a being raised in kind of a lower middle class lifestyle to get there not with education I didn't you know I went to college to be I went actually became an EMT too I wanted to be a fireman and then after I found out the lifestyle of a fireman and what they made I thought man I should have checked this out for I went through two years of school I can't be a fireman so because my I wanted to have more in life so but basically I was just kind of self-trained and I started to do business and then the results led me to a a place of, of financially prospering and because there was like this inner drive but that inner drive came from trying to achieve to fill the void of that orphan spirit Ooh, please listen to what he just said would you mind repeating what you just said yeah the 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 overperformance and the inner drive was really rooted in trying to get accepted from that six months of separation of that orphan spirit. Wow. Think about how many of us do what we do in the physical to fill the void that's not here in the physical. Fascinating. It's good learning right there. Um, please keep going. I was going to ask you, then from that moment on, I mean, I've had the opportunity to get to know you over the last several months and the many things that you're doing that you don't even tell people that you're doing for the people are impressive. Would you mind, please, without any, I mean, I know you tend to be humble, but without being humble, would you mind sharing some of the things that you're doing for the people here? for people around the world, for also the Holocaust survivors, for uh, the people that are wanting to, I mean, I, I think the best way to have this discussion is for you to share with us some of the great accomplishments 
of what you've been able to do for the people, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, um, and, and this is this is really what I want you to know is you're not going to really ever have real joy in this life until you connect with the passion of the identity of who you are and then that purpose. Because what, that's why I'm trying to, I really want the, the, the viewers to know that, you know, my situation could have been like, wow, man, he's deserted, you know, almost an abort. You could, it could be twisted. There was prejudice and racism and, and all this. And, and so what the Lord did with all that in, in, a, in aligning that, that's where the passion is. And you chose to say yes to that. Yeah, you have, you have to say yes. And, and so I'll just give you an example. We, uh, we bring tours to Israel. We, we take people and they come and have experience and with the Lord. And, um, and so for those of you that ask, we don't do that anymore, but we did it for years. And um, we were on a tour and we got a call from the prime minister, Bibi Netanyahu. And uh, we knew him because we were doing some other work. But there's a, uh, a, a need here in Israel and, the, and it comes through a ministry called Yeladim. And in Hebrew, Yeladim means the children. And so he knows my story. And so he said, the children here, which at that time was, I, I don't remember the number, so I don't do it wrong, but in the Yeladim, there were thousands, I think like seven or 8,000. And these are children that aren't necessarily orphans, some orphan, but most of them, uh, they're in where their families are dysfunctional and they have to be, uh, you know, put into a system. But Yeladim takes care of children from uh, infants all the way up to 18. And then at 18, uh, there's, there's a gap to where they go into the service and military service and military service. And they were starting a program between 18 and 24 years of age, because that's, you know, William, that's a critical time where you're going to make decisions and affect your whole life. And most of these kids are, are living through a woundedness and they need this, uh, this gap filled. So they were thinking about starting a new program and the prime minister thought of me because of my history. He said, it would be great if Christians could help the Jewish people with these children in this gap. Would you do it? So he had called us off the tour. We went in his office and um, we actually that day, uh, a crisis came and we didn't really get to speak to him, but we st we talked to his deputy director and it was interesting. I'll never forget the day because that we know who she is and she had just had a baby. So she's there, very Middle Eastern, she's breastfeeding <laughs> and she's holding her new baby and she's breastfeeding and she says, well, he's not going to be able to come, but he wanted to ask you this. He knows you're hard for the ch our children. And <laughs> will, will you help us with this special project? And then she said, uh, and I want to show you how the spiritual realm works. And she said, and uh, to start this, this, this project, it's going to be $150,000. Would you do it? And I don't have the 150 at that time and in the ministry. And I said, yes, how can we say no? It's like, see, it's, it's in our DNA. So we said, yes. He was so thrilled, but this was in the early days. This was years ago when all of a sudden the nation of Israel is starting to realize spiritually their best friends are, are Christians. 
because of that Judeo-Christian root in the spirit. And so, but we learned a long time ago, people don't want to know what you know until they know how much you care. Yes. Yeah. So we said yes. So we did it. And uh, we go back to, the, they, they take us out of the Knesset. We go back to the bus. And we get to the bus. There's a friend of mine, and uh, his name's John Lowry. He's an oil man. And we were new to each other. And uh, uh, they had been at the Garden Tomb on this tour. And uh, they had just come back. He's sitting on the bus. He's big, tall, Arkansas guy, you know, 6'5", and played sports, big, tough guy. And he's sitting on the bus crying. He's got a BlackBerry phone, and he's crying. And uh, he said, Rabbi, would you come over here? And he says, I want to show you something on my phone. He texted on his BlackBerry, and he said, and the Lord told me to give you $150,000. So the stress of me saying yes from the time we left the Knesset was the time of driving from the Knesset to the garden tomb, which was, say, half an hour, 45 minutes. And the Lord already had the provision in the spirit. See, because in the spiritual realm, the angels of God were already working, saying, all I want you to do is say yes, and I'll take care of the rest. So he gave it, and it turns out that he didn't have it either. So then the next stop we make on the tour, the next stop, is this okay I'm sharing? Yeah, yeah, please. This is incredible. Please share. Okay, so this is his testimony. So the next place we stop, his phone bings on his BlackBerry. This is back when, you know, using international phone, and it was all, it's easy now. But back in the day, it was not so easy. And he had an account receivable that he was getting ready to write off to a vendor. And the guy got convicted and ended up saying, you know what, I better send John the money. So on his phone, at the next stop, sorry, John, for this being late, but I know you need it. Here's $150,000. So what happened is the spirit realm was actually aligning for what? For all the children. To take care of the children that we take care of in our safe houses, to take care of all of that spurt opened up. We take care of over 450 Holocaust survivors right here in town. You're going to see them. Um, later this afternoon, you're going to see these lone soldiers that are soldiers that have moved here from other countries and don't have families and they need housing and they need love and fellowship. We take care of them. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting how, when you start to flow in the spirit, how things start to connect. And, and that's why I wanted to share that with you is. The connection of it was was really supernatural. I mean, that's what I think. And so it changed my life. It changed uh, Netanyahu's office because we said yes. This was years ago. So you see the favor we have here. Um, and it changed John's life. It, everybody's life was affected in a positive way because we started to flow in the spirit of what God wanted to get done. And so I always tell people, find out what God created you for, find out what he wants to get done and do that. And you said yes to it. Yes. Hmm. How often do we not say yes to what we feel inside as our calling, as what we are meant to do and, and 
perhaps some of us even develop passion for it, but we say no because of fear, because of so-called safety, because of what we are afraid of, what may happen to the bottom line. But not to, not to wonder how little we know in the conscious and, and begin to trust the true abundance that's everywhere. Yeah. That's beautiful. So, you know, and don't, um, don't despise the, the small beginnings. You know, um, I was in one of your meetings and you said uh, in the meeting about there's the monster, the mission. Oh, that's one of our guests. Okay, the guest yeah. said that the monster, yeah. the mission, and... Uh, Taylor Welch. No, I'm sorry. The monster, the, the mountain, and the mission. So what happens is when you first start climbing the mountain... Uh, I want to tell you how Christy and I started. We came to Israel for the first time in 1991 with nothing. We just came to visit. Then the next time we came, there's 47 visits now with you. But the next time we came with suitcases with like shoes for children. Then the next time we, we did some boxes with clothes. And then we started to do containers. And then in 2004, we brought a ship in with like over $20 million of aid. I mean, a big ship. And, um, and so, uh, and now we do humanity. We, we take care of the children of Israel. That's our assignment is take care of the children. We have a pro-life clinic in Tel Aviv and for young girls to have an ultrasound, to be able to make a healthy choice. They can make a choice because once they see the ultrasound, they realize something's living inside them. There's a baby there. And then when they say, okay, I'm going to have the baby, then our organization helps them with the child after childbirth. We actually have a children care center because that's what they would say. They would say, well, if I have this, are you going to help me? Which is a legitimate you know, question. So we do. So we, we, we help them uh, before, after, and then with Yeladim, um, we help them at all the ages, one through 18. And our specialty is the safe houses. It's called the Bridge to Independence. I love this program. And where we actually have two houses where they, and they have supervision and they can make good choices between 18 and 24. And then we have the lone soldiers that we take care of. It's all about relationship. It's about the people. You know, we've worked here long enough. People say, well, why are you supporting like a military? Are you like, it's, it's not, a, it's not about that. Every nation and every people group has a right to survive. There always will be good and evil and the evil will always battle against the good and the good has to protect itself. And so the difference here, um, uh, there's a place just north of where we're staying at the King David called David Citadel. And they were honoring us and um, with an award. And the whole citadel was filled with soldiers and some dignitaries there. And they asked me to speak. It's the only time I've ever actually publicly spoke in Israel. And I thought, what, what am I going to say to them? And I didn't have anything planned, nothing written down. And so I just had to trust the Holy Spirit in me to say, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to say when I get up there. And, and this, this is what I, I said to the Israeli soldiers, and this is what really connected us. And, and any, any soldiers and anybody in military, any country, 
you have to understand that your being, your service uh, is, is protecting the greater good of the principles that are necessary for you to enjoy the lifestyle that you have. Because if you don't have that, um, it will be taken away. Freedom's not free. But I didn't want to say that to these soldiers. And you have to realize these are 18, 19. These are, for us, I'm 67. These are babies. This was a few years ago. But this is what I said to them. I said, you are the Nehemiahs. In the Bible, there's a story about a man named Nehemiah. And what he did, he was burdened for the condition of the very city that I'm preaching in. And he asked the king, he was just the king's cupbearer. And I can relate to this story. It, being a cupbearer means your job was to test the wine, to drink it, to see if there was poison. And then if it didn't affect you, then you give the cup to the king to drink every glass. That was his job. And he was sorrowful one day. And, and in Jew, the Jewish biblical teaching is, if you're a cupbearer and you're sorrowful, you could actually be killed back in the biblical times because you're always supposed to be uh, of good cheer when you're around the king, not to bring him down. But the king said to Nehemiah, he said, Nehemiah, sorry, this, this story so relates to what we do. And I'm telling this story to the soldiers. I said, um, why are you so sad? He said, I'm sad because of the condition of my people and the walls of my city have been torn down. And uh, he said, would you release me to go and repair the walls so that the people, the walls being symbolic of the protective structure, the infrastructure, would you allow me to go and repair that so that the people could live safely in the land? And the king said, yes. And basically uh, signed papers, gave him like purchase orders and permissions and fees to leave being the king's cupbearer to go on his assignment. So, um, and his assignment was to be a watchman over the infrastructure of Jerusalem. So, you know, I always carry this with me. Um, so I'm here on this interview. This is my Bible. But the reason I carry this is I'm not a religious person. I'm spiritual. But even when I did business, I always took this with me. And the reason I did is to, it's not for you or, or, the, or who I'm sitting down doing a contract with. This is for me to say, is the decision I'm going to make line up with the principles of this book? And so when I spoke to the soldiers, I said, you're like Nehemiah. You're like Ezra. What you're doing is you're watchman on the wall for the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. So if you go to a real high level, the evil in the world wants to make the God of the universe, the creator of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out to be a liar. That's his whole focus. If I can just make him lie, then nobody will trust him. And so the Israeli soldiers, young men and women, their job is to fulfill Bible prophecy. Because if you remove them from the scene, then those who want to do evil, they actually want to erase the record. Because the scripture says, even the rocks will cry out. So when, when you're here in this hotel, there's great history in this hotel. But the history in the land is really about a faithful God who made covenant with a man named Abraham. And... Uh, 
He made covenant with Abraham and his children. The conflict here that you're experiencing is a spiritual one in the sense that when Abraham couldn't wait on the promise to come for Isaac, he, uh, based off his wife's advice, Sarah, went and laid with the maidservant, Hagar, and they had a son, Ishmael. So the actual firstborn of Abraham is Ishmael, which is the Arab people. So he has Arab son, and then Isaac comes. And now when Isaac becomes of age where he's going to have a bar mitzvah, he's about 13 years old, there's conflict between the siblings. And Sarah says, you need to take Hagar, the mother, and Ishmael and cast them out because it's causing conflict. So think about it. Here comes this orphan spirit. You have the parents, you have the father taking the son and saying, you've got to go. So you cast him wow. out. And then I'm going to favor Isaac. So it's not Ishmael's fault that the father cast him out. But they're feeling this rejection in this orphan spirit. So the conflict here from a spiritual standpoint and, and, and what our ministry does is we do good in all these different areas to Jews and the Arabs because I have a message for them. And the message is, is that they can have peace between Jew and Gentile because in the book of Ephesians, it says that the blood of Jesus has come to bring peace to Jew and Gentile to make one new man from the two, thus making peace. So the diplomatic side of, that you're experiencing with us here in the land comes from the fact that we actually carry a potential. I, I believe it's my life's purpose, but we carry the ability to bring peace into a region because once my Arab brothers know I'm Jewish, Jewish mother makes me a Jewish man. But my Arabs are my brothers because we have the same father. But how many of you and how many of us have had fathers that maybe didn't treat us just right? In this worst case scenario, the father cast Ishmael out. But how many need to know that that was a mistake? And I think if Abraham was here, he would say, I realize now that was a mistake. Uh, Abraham was just a man. He wasn't perfect. But here's the key. He was obedient. And obedience is better than sacrifice. And, and, and when you read about Abraham in the book of Hebrews, it says he was a friend to God. He was a friend. Um, when you have a reconciled spirit with the creator of the universe, you become a friend with God. And that's what I've enjoyed since the bathtub. So I feel friendly with God. I have reverential, holy fear of God, but not like I'm not afraid of him, but I, I honor him, but in a healthy way, because I know that his Holy Spirit is what enlightens me to let me know what I need to do in my life to make good choices. This is incredible how this all tied together and how you were able to share your story and how this connects to all of this. It's a fabulous metaphor to explain how the global conflict that's been going on for thousands of years, frankly, has a lot to do with families at the micro level, right? It's a macro family conflict. And 
here's the question for you, Rabbi. What, what do you foresee? Let's say not only are you successful and, and we're all successful and, and the people that are wanting to create true peace and, and, and the, the oneness or, or the integration of humanity, what do you think will happen as we look back from the moment of success that, wow, we did it as humanity. We were able to bring humanity together. What would you say at that moment when you look back, the lesson would be? Um, well, as you know, we have three beautiful grandchildren and um, what, what you're trying to teach them is it's not like teaching them to do good. It, it's, it's more micro. You're teaching them to be good. And if you're going to be good, then what happens is it's an inner heart issue. It's, it's an inner heart where you realize when your heart is healthy spiritually, then what happens is you want to make good choices and be good to others. So anything that is forced discipline, um, uh, even in the behavioral world, which, you know, I came from some of that training in the past, what you have to do is you have to add a passion to it to want to, to help others. My attraction to you and to Brady and Michael and your team is that you want to upgrade humanity for the good of humanity. You're not doing it because of the good of William. And you, one of the things we carry in common is that I know you're, you're well taken care of like I am. But it, even before you were well taken care of, you wanted to give something back because you had a life experience that, that really kind of traumatized you like I did. And then you say, okay, I want to I try to reconcile this. Listen, you can say the world's hopeless and it's too big and it's not, you know, you can't fix it. But here's the principle is you can't teach, like for me, you can't teach your grandchildren it's going to be a better world if you don't teach them the principles of how to have a better world. So even if, even if they don't fix it, even if, even if they don't, they can't fix the world. Sorry about that. We're here in the, in the lobby, but this, this is important. I want you to hear this. Even if they can't fix the world, I'm not saying we're going to fix it, but you can fix yourself by having at least a long-term goals and plan to fix it. And, and if you're going to unlock your mind, then what you have to do is say, uh, you know, even at my age, I have a 30 year plan and then a one that's even a bit longer than that, because as a Christian, we actually know, we believe by faith that we rule and reign for a thousand years in a millennial reign. So that all has to do with preparing my character, my wisdom and knowledge. And so I, I'm on a long quest. So if you can impart that to your children, then what it does is it opens your mind and expands your thoughts, your dreams and desires. Uh, as you know, I'm a goal setter, but I'm also a dream goal setter because really your goals are time, task and activity of things that you're going to do within a certain set of time and frame so that you'll follow them, keep yourself on track. But then you have to have dream goals where you say, what is my actual real desires? What's the inner desire of who I am? Who did God create me to be or however you want to believe? But what's that inner desire? That 
that dream becomes like an umbrella that you walk under. That's where your passion and your compassion is. So if you want to know the, the source of it is, we'll go back to the story in the bathtub. I know now it was Jesus standing behind me. And the scripture says God is love. And you can't take care of other people unless you have, you know how much God loves you. There's, we're in the city of our God. In the Torah, there's 613 laws impossible for us to keep. That's why Jesus came. And he narrowed them down to two. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Even separates it out. So what happens is your mind has to be in alignment to do good. And then that makes your heart to do good. But then it says, love your neighbor, but you can't love your neighbor. And it says and the way you love yourself. So there has to be a healing of having to love yourself. Well, how do you love yourself to come full circle? When you love others, then you can love yourself because you're doing good. And that's what upgrade is about, is that if you're going to upgrade humanity, we have to renew our minds, our body and soul. And now we're talking to you about re renewing your spirit so that you can be about doing good. Uh, I'll close with this scripture that uh, one of my favorites in the New Testament, it says, by doing good, putting the foolish talk to foolish men to not. And the little bit of time that you've been here and you see the way we interact with all different sides of society. Everyone loves and honors us. You can see that even from the airport in. It's because we've been about doing good. But we're not doing good from a manipulator standpoint. We're doing good because our heart desire spiritually is to do good because we have Christ in us. We, we have, when you have the, when you know that your creator loves you, then it, it, it releases you to want to love others. Even when they, even when they reject you, because we're in a land where people don't trust very easily, but they want, they want to be able to, they want to be able to receive the love. And so, I, that was a long way of answering, but I hope I answered your question. Love is the lesson. When you look back and we have succeeded as humanity, as we upgrade humanity, we turn back and we look at now. We will be able to extract a lesson from it. It's love. It's love yourself and love others. And, and if we choose to take on the spiritual perspective as well, love God. And, you know, one thing I've noticed is that this long-term perspective is missing very often because a lot of people aren't aware that even though this planning, you know, in our, in our hundred dollar training, our least, least expensive training, we talk about focusing on what you want, designing our 90 year and beyond the plan, right? What a lot of people don't realize is that's actually one of the most valuable lessons that we put at the front so people can begin to understand, wait a second, I can't just think about my life or just, just today. I can't just think about this week or this month, this year. The mind tends to do the thing that, that we call the path of least resistance. If we only know these short-term goals, the mind would take that path of least resistance to achieve that, which is very minimal. But when you begin to think about 
90, 100 years, or 1,000 years of plans, your mind begins to realize, I have an opportunity and an, a responsibility to unlock, to do good, to do more, to do great things for humanity. And when you're not just about serving yourself, which is important to love yourself. I mean, how many of us can say we love ourselves to the fullest extent? Truly though. And then beyond that, how much love can you, I mean, if we're talking about love thy neighbor as thyself, if we love ourselves so little, not even to the fullest extent, how could we love others with the fullest extent? I think the world's conflict is truly a reflection and a mirror of the conflict within many of us. So begin to consider, I think, that if we were to love others and to serve humanity, begin to learn how to love yourself fully. And then to think about how and who do I need to become to be able to love humanity to the extent that if we're taking on the spiritual perspective that God would love humanity. Because, you know, if we, if we follow what these many, many, many of us who like to read the Bible would say, love, love others in a way that also another scripture says, you know, become like God, right? Be like Jesus. How much love would he have for humanity? And if we were to become like Jesus, how much love do we need to have for others? So I, I think that's a worthy perspective, regardless if you're religious, spiritual or not, to consider how humans yearn love. I mean, I didn't get to go into it, but my, my, uh, my family, uh, my mother had to abort uh, one of my siblings at, at uh, I was about three or four years old very unfortunate and she still cries when she thinks about it and um, it was a choice that was driven out of scarcity there was a fine that they could have paid and would have kept my sibling but my my father and mother at the time made a decision that impacted forever all of us right and and she still in fact cries and and it's it's not a event that we're proud of as a family and not to judge people on their choices. However, I think that it would have been amazing and incredible to be able to, to realize instead of being driven by scarcity, our decisions are driven by love and abundance. What kind of human world will we live in? And so I think that there's, there's need to have another conversation. This is just the beginning of an exploration of what... What could we do in the midst of the world's most volatile area? It's, a, it's truly a lens to see deeper into humanity and the conflict hidden within all of us around the world. And if we were able to learn how to resolve the conflicts within ourselves and here, I can only imagine how much love we would have been able to gain and learn to, to receive and give by that time. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being on with us, Rabbi. That was an incredible lesson that I got to learn from you and, and share with the listener and viewers. So until next time, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Shalom. We'll see you next time.